So a number of years ago, I was really into trail running. And as I was into trail running, one of my favorite trails, in fact, I still have a screenshot on my phone from that trail, was uh, this one section where there was this beautiful pine tree forest and just loved running through there and the smells. And right before that pine tree section, though, the, the best part of the trail, it's not even marked, right? There's no sign. It's a little cutoff to a waterfall. Now, the, the trail isn't even very marked. Everything before that, there's a sign. You can tell if you're supposed to take a bigger loop or not and all these things. But this best part of the trail, not marked, non-obvious, and you make your way down into this giant stone outcropping with the most beautiful waterfall. It is my favorite part of the trail, and yet it's not even marked. Here's the thing. If somebody could drop a million bucks on you right now, it wouldn't make any easier the challenge of what it means to figure out how to get to a place that you could go, I have nothing to prove or hide in what I'm doing. I love what I do and I'm having the time of my life. It doesn't mean it's perfect and it doesn't mean there aren't challenges. But if we could be the kind of people who explore the fullness of what we do in the world, in our mission, we've got to understand money isn't going to fix it. Money matters. And we're going to get into some of that as we go through this journey uh, over these next few days. But you know what else? You know, trying to hustle harder, that doesn't fix it. Trying to figure out how to like make little improvements and tweaks to what you're doing. If you could make a 1% improvement to a part of your day that you hate, it doesn't mean it would be a big breakthrough for you. And so what happens for so many people is the conventional wisdom breaks down into one or two paths. You have to establish some kind of side hustle or you have to keep upgrading what you're doing. Now, the problem with that is it assumes two things. It assumes that you know what you want. And, and I know that you may think you know what you want, but then you get what you thought you wanted and you have the misfortune now of having something that you thought you wanted, but you don't really want. It's difficult to know what you want. Second, it assumes you know what to look for. Just like this person that's on the trail that may not know that that best part of the trail, that most beautiful waterfall, isn't very clearly marked. And what I found in my life and in working with leaders in different continents, literally all over the world, is that the starting point for the expression of your mission, your career, the discovery of the fullness of who you can be and what you can do in the world, oftentimes is built on moments where there was no clear sign marking the road. There was no clear fork. There was something else there. How are you going to know how to recognize those moments? How are you going to know how to find those cutaways to the waterfall when they're a non-obvious move? It starts with the things that make you feel uncomfortable. Growing up, I was so embarrassed embarrassed about what my dad did. I was embarrassed because I was a PK or a pastor's kid. Since I've been about five years old, my dad has been in churches where he would have been on TV or radio. And so at school, oftentimes the taunt would work like this. Well, you wouldn't do that because you're a PK. Hmm. How do you think that made me feel? <laughs> what do you think that made me want to go? do. And for so many of us, what's happening is 
the experiences of our lives, the narratives of the institutions, school, our upbringing, if we have any kind of religious upbringing, they're all shaping us. And they're shaping to keep us pulled in to what that institution or that narrative wants, where we're like a camel, where we just believe and think and behave how people want us to. Or it shapes us unknowingly and reactively to be a lion with like this centrifugal force where we have to push out and show you. Well, you may say I'm a PK, but I'm not going to do that. And so for most people, because of those centripetal and centrifugal forces that are in their lives, they don't really know what they want. And because they're trapped by these, they don't know what to look for. And I want to give you three elements today for your non-obvious career move. And if you're taking notes in the worksheet there, you can see that first sentence, that first line, figuring out what you don't want is a great place to start. Figuring out what you don't want is a great place to start because all vision begins with what bothers you. All vision begins with what bothers you. And that's the second blank there in your notes. So what do we mean when we say the things that we don't want or the things that bother us? Well, I'm going to walk through these three elements with you right now. And I'm going to help you understand how to not blindly react like I did to figure out what that non-obvious move is. Element one, it starts with admitting, I don't know who I really am. I don't know who I really am. When I was 18 years old, this is a story that I told publicly for the first time just a few months ago. Uh, it's been something that's been shaping in my life in a powerful way, but I've been embarrassed to talk about it. So I'm 18 years old, and my dad at the time in the church that he was pastoring, he asked me to come into his room. I had been back from the campus that I had just started college at. And he said, hey, I want you to know something that's going to be going on. I want you to be prepared for it. And then he told me that some people, there was like this power play happening. And, and I don't know any of you that uh, may or may not have had any kind of religious upbringing, but religious institutions are just like family institutions. They have some stuff going on in them, a, a dark underbelly. You got politics and you got power squabbles and all these things. So he basically tells me that, hey, you know, there's, they're upset. We've grown a lot. They've lost some power and, and they're going to be doing some stuff. Well, without thinking, just hype reflexively. I'm going to be there. So I had to take some friends back to school. I turn around and I'm, I'm driving back. And as I'm driving back, I'm starting to think about a lot of what was going on. Now, here's the thing you got to know about me. Over and over, if you would have asked me what I was going to do when I grow up, you know what I said? I don't know, but I'm not going to be a pastor. Why? Because that's, that was my dad. I saw that life. I didn't want that. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to be a pastor. So I'm driving along or I'm riding along. My friend's driving. I'm starting to think about everything that's going on. And you got to understand how emotional, intense and crazy this moment was. We actually get there and my dad starts to speak. I'm sitting on the front row. My roommate friend, he's 6'4". He's sitting right beside me. And while my dad's talking, like Jerry Springer style. This guy gets up and interrupts him and starts trying to take over. Like literally this verbal accosting starts to happen. 
Now I'm 18 years old. I'm not so evolved. I start to lunge at this guy. I'm on the front row. This is my dad. I don't know any better. This 6'4 friend of mine just lays on top of me. And as that emotion starts to pass and I start to uh, think and become a little bit more clear-minded, my dad, I've noticed, is bent over, just kind of hunched over, heaving a little bit, crying. This is like dramatic, intense stuff. I walk up to the place you'd stand behind when you speak, and the place is packed. I mean, word had spread around what was happening. Nobody's on social media didn't exist then, but nobody's on social media trying to like get people to this event. It was word had spread that stuff was going down. The place is packed. I get up there, and I didn't know much, but I just knew that this moment that was unfolding, there was a lack of character on display, and that it wasn't about fighting to try to take power but it was about trying to steer a course for what's right. And I put some of those words out there into that moment and people like came to the front and it was emotional and it was a galvanizing experience. And what did I take out of that moment? Oh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. It, in fact, riding in the car, and I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, it was like this intuition, this moment of saying, what if I'm supposed to be this kind of leader like my dad. What if I'm supposed to be a pastor? And so what did I do? I dedicated the next decade of my life to doing that at the best level that I could. Now, I approached that like I approached anything in life. And you have ways of approaching things. And your ways aren't better than my ways. And my ways aren't better than your ways. But I wanted to be the best at it I absolutely could be. So I started studying organizational leadership like a crazy person and started like memorizing paradigms for leading people. <laughs> and then I started studying the Greek and I got to the point that I could sight read the Greek New Testament because I didn't want anybody to tell me what to think for myself. I wanted to know it for me. And I started to just absorb and do all the internships I could and, and, and growing like crazy. Fast forward a number of years and I'm working with my dad. And if you would have asked me what I'd said, what I want to do when I grow up, I said, I don't know, but I don't want to be a pastor. And that's what I was doing. Now, in every context, and I served in about three different places, every context for me, it was more of a leadership engagement. We would have to sell a property and buy land and build a new building. I was leading them through a transition. In fact, that's why what we do is about leading people through limbo moments, whether they're personal or organizational. I was leading these organizations through a limbo moment to a reimagining of who they could become. And I had done that with my dad, but there was something deep in me that was gnawing at me. There was this big plan in place where I was supposed to take everything over. You know, I'm like 28, 29 years old at the time. I'm 43 now for some context. And it was like my whole life was in front of me. The dream has happened. It's all thought out. And I didn't feel trapped by that. I didn't feel suffocated by that. This big transition is going to happen. It's going to hand off to me. Some of you might have. We're all wired up in different ways. But instead, what haunted me, what woke me up was, I don't like who I'm becoming. I started putting the accomplishment of the organization's agenda and vision before the formation of people. In fact, rather than the vision, you know, becoming the people or that the fact that the vision was the people, I made the people about serving the vision. And I didn't like who I was becoming. I didn't like what was happening in me. And so I'll never forget, you know, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, I lose track of time now, sitting on the porch of my dad's house looking him in the eye and saying, 
I'm not going to be the next guy. I mean, the organization's already all in on this. All of the, you know, influencers knew the plan. Everything had been focused towards this end goal. And I'm leaving. And, I, and I'm not going to say it was easy on our relationship. Because it wasn't. But all I knew at that moment was that I don't like who I'm becoming. Now, you fast forward like a year later, you make a bold choice like that. Things start to work out in life. You're like, yes, the universe affirms this decision. I wish instead we had had some real estate failing. This is the story that I tell publicly because I'm kind of embarrassed to tell some of this other story I just shared with you. It's why I wasn't on LinkedIn for years. I didn't want to put any of my biographical past. But fast forward a year later, we've got a real estate failing and I'm trying to start over from the bottom and had nothing and faced this eviction notice and six figures of debt and all this craziness. And it was, again, just this stirring. Okay, I don't know who I really am. And that was a galvanizing moment for me. And for a number of years, I've been running down a path with so much certainty in who I am. And then, as my Southern roots would say, 2020, y'all. Can I get any raised hands on 2020 being a year of disturbance, a year of surfacing clarity of needing reinvention? And I look back over the last year and everything that occurred and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Thank you. Yes, you feel me on that. I, a change was happening and I came back to this crossroads again. I don't know who I really am. And, and that's a starting point for a non-obvious career move is you being able to say, I don't really know who I am. That's okay. I don't, I don't really fully know who I want to be. But this is why all vision starts with what bothers you. I know who I don't want to be. I don't know who I fully want to become, but I know who I don't want to become. That's what it started for me when I closed that chapter with my dad. I, I know who I don't want to become. I don't like what this is doing to me. See, this is what happens for us when we, and this is the key element here, element number one, when we learn how to really hug our disappointments, the disappointments and what we see within ourselves and what we wish was there, not to shame ourselves, not to beat ourselves up, not to tell ourselves that we're so terrible, what's wrong with us, why can't we get it together? And I know that you and I can feel those pressures every day. Social media can give them to us. We can infer those from our circumstances. We can wake up feeling terrified. I mean, that was 2020, going to sleep one night in March, uh, in a cold sweat on the couch going, oh my gosh, this whole thing is changing. What is happening? But the way that you turn your insecurities into imaginative leaps forward, the way you turn your disappointments into a healthy ambition is when you go, you know what? I don't really know who I am and that's okay. I start there. I know who I don't want to be and this is all a part of that growth. See, here's the thing. If you're not going to leave any of your potential on the table, the big questions you need to ask are usually questions that no one around you is even thinking about. They're walking the trail that's already marked. They're not even considering that there's a hidden waterfall over here. And the way that you make space for the big questions in your life is you start to ask this question. Okay, who do I not want to be? Who do I not want to become? That's a wonderful place to start because as that starts to stir within you, 
you'll start to find that healthy ambition. You know, one of the things economically speaking that's happened, uh, the meme of it all is that the money printer for the Fed in the States anyway, uh, if, if you're in America, uh, they say the money printer go burr. <laughs> in other words, it just keeps printing. And I see people that are around me that are constantly wrestling between the duty of the job and the desire of what they actually want to do. And it's this battle about hustling harder and the weekend hustle. None of these things matter when you just figure out the thing in you that goes burr. When you really zero in on, hey, I don't really know who I am. That's okay. But who do I not want to be? Now, as you engage in this first element, ambition, it's going to surface the need for the second element.